Yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to E3 until somebody makes the Oregon Trail game that I want, which would be like a giant open sandbox Oregon Trail world (laughs) where you have to follow along with the wagon train as it slowly moves through the American West. One million different side quests helping out settlers or settling in-town disputes with the Pinkertons and interacting with the tribes and everything like that. It's like the Oregon Trail, but like the road. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Like a progressively generating Red Dead Redemption or just Skyrim where you can't go back to places that you've left. Staring at a horse ass for eight hours while you're riding through a desolate desert. Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, currently without internet, so we'll see how this goes. With me, as always, in Omaha, Nebraska, is my friend and co-host, Brendan Williams. Brendan, you guys obviously aren't having this internet outage problem. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, we're not, but I was just in Manhattan, and there was internet addresses there. But I'm a New Yorker now. I was there for three days, so... <laughs> that is that is the law. I'm walking here. I got hey, it. Hey, yo. You tried the gabagool. Bodegas. Hey. <laughs> that's that's all I know about New York is bodegas and rats. Did, did you catch a slice at your favorite pizza joint? Yeah, we did that thing where you just like, oh, we should get some pizza at whatever the next pizza place happens to be. Right. Because they're all like, we're the best pizza in New York right here. <laughs> Sabaro or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we got a pizza. It was it was fine. It was pizza. It was good. I nice. won't complain. Nice. And then uh, you've heard him already talking. Our third chair for this evening, a very special guest. We've got Matt, otherwise known as, well, Horny Ron, also currently your admiral ron was that a promotion or a lateral move from horny to admiral now see uh this is where i admit that i'm stealing valor right by claiming to be an admiral but if i had to guess in the navy going from horny to admiral is like going from (laughs) private first class to also being a chef okay (laughs) Yeah, so like yeah. it's it's not it's not like a change in the way you think it's a change. It's like right. your rank and then your job. In Nebraska, everybody gets made an admiral of the Navy. They just give those away like candy because it's like a fake participation certificate. It's like getting the key to the city or something. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Does Nebraska have a navy? How does that fucking no. work? <laughs> it's like a, that's why it's a joke. You you get like this honorary title is like you're an admiral in the Nebraska Navy. Like, <laughs> congratulations on like getting that kitten down from a tree or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what's what's like the largest body of water you could be protecting? <laughs> I mean, there's a river. Oh, oh. Yeah, there are a couple of them. The Missouri River is a border, but the Platte goes straight across the state. So probably the Platte River. Hard to get a battleship in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe like a riverboat. Yeah, yeah, right. You're, you're an old-timey <laughs> riverboat admiral. Yeah, I'm sure that Pete Ricketts is going to have airboats with, like, giant guns strapped to him any day now, just patrolling <laughs> the waterways. Just because just why not? You know, it's not technically illegal for the police to just have airboats with machine guns on them and just roll around. Right. That's true. That's Isn't true. Isn't Chris Kobach from Nebraska? Well, he's the guy from Kansas, but is he originally oh, from yeah, Nebraska? Oh, yeah, he's from, he's from Kansas. That's no, the voter that's, fraud that's right. guy or whatever. Yeah, well, there's a picture of him driving around town in a, it was like a Jeep with a massive machine oh, gun God. strapped in the back of it. Oh, that was uh, him? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who's like, I'm out here protecting voter integrity. <laughs> Like I, mean, I guess I guess at least when like Dukakis rode around in a tank, he was just doing it to try and seem not dorky. But you know, right. it's Dukakis, so like yeah. that doesn't work. The helmet with three piece suit look isn't great. <laughs> yeah, that was not I mean, great. That's Jared Kushner. That's that's my uh, that's my Fallout seventy six outfit. <laughs> uh, we got Don Bacon, and he rolls around to like all the local Fourth of July parades and stuff. And his thing is he does twenty push ups. That's not even impressive because he's like you know like an old retired military guy, and he's got a little bit of. Yeah. Yeah. beer belly on him so you know <laughs> good on him for staying fit he also rolls around with a pig now like in a cage because bacon oh, just so, fully so. leaning into the like oh brother where art thou campaignism tooling around on the the back roads with like yeah. a flatbed truck and there's a uh, like a little person with a broom and saying like we're sweeping up the swamp didn't i just tell you his campaign pitch is i can do 20 push-ups <laughs> that's that's 20 for each of the amendments he recognizes <laughs> <laughs> 
which is just the second 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. See, the bacon the bacon thing has me thinking he's courting that uh, coveted libertarian Redditor vote. <laughs> le, le epic bacon campaigning. Yeah, somebody on his social media team was like, do you know what's really popular on the internet? Bacon. <laughs> it's 2011. Like, let's go. Bacon everything. Yeah, oh, my God. I yeah, can't. exactly. It's going to be zombies versus pirates is the next thing he, <laughs> he takes a strong he's position gonna do, on. He's going to do a like pro-life campaign where it's like, oh. I'm six months old, but it's like done in the voice of I'm Pickle Rick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be like, as congressman, I will bring back the Szechuan sauce. Oh, God. <laughs> All your base are belong to us. Vote for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, need, we need people in Washington who will stand up to the leaders of a Ron and tell them all your base are belong to us. <laughs> Dude, I would I would consider be like maybe I will vote for you if he did that. That would be amazing. <laughs> no, I need a even older than all your base belong to us if I'm going to vote for a candidate like that. Like we got to go all the way back to like Rickroll. Yeah, I was I was just oh thinking about this the other day. Like what you guys think is the oldest of what we would call an internet meme? Cuz all your base is back there for sure. Uniform tablets? Those dudes were making those like <laughs> no, no, all no. the time. Internet internet <laughs> meme. I mean, oh, oh, okay. Well, Rick rolling and it'd be hard to date those two relative to each other. Yeah, I actually think they're from around but the But is same there time. anything else what else was that early? Um, I mean, the old, like, ultimate showdown. bulletin board systems. Oh, yeah? Anything on uh, You're the Man Now, dog? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably ones that go back to, like, text-only, like, BBS boards and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's where the Rick roll came from. They used to do, like, the duck roll. Or- huh, all right. I'm sure there are a hundred different people working on PhDs right now trying to describe the genesis of the internet meme. There's that ancient civilization that did a meme that was like they made hand axes out of rocks and then that was just like what they did. (laughs) And then so they just did it and they just did it forever even though they didn't need to and they like made ridiculous ones that were like huge and you're like, why would you make a hand axe that big? Like, what are you doing? And they're like, that's just what we do. We make sick hand axes. So according to oldest.org, they have a list of the six (laughs) oldest memes. The number one is Dancing Baby, which originates in 1996. On Ali Hold on, but hold on. That's if we're not counting Godwin's Law as a meme, which was coined in 1990. (laughs) Okay. Dude, I'd... You know what? If we're gonna vote, I'm voting for Godwin's, because... Man, screw that Ally McBeal baby, man. I, that was yeah, no, was the did the dancing baby come before or after hamster dance? Because uh, I remember that getting uh, spread around. Hamster yeah. dance. People loved hamster the dance hamster dance. Was ninety nine. <laughs> dancing baby, jeez. That's the pro life Republican ad they should be running. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't let Don Bacon's social team get a hold of this idea. Uh, speaking of ridiculous records, how about Arby's putting up the biggest sign in the world in this oh, Nebraska yeah. town where one person lives there? Yeah, what's the name of that town? It has kind of an odd name too. Mont Manawi. Mononoi? I have no idea. This must be... <laughs> Mo- Motunui. It's where Moana was from. Oh, that'd be cool. They oh, should that, rebrand. That's That one person should rebrand. From Moana too. It's like kind of a joke town because literally, legally, one person like lives in the actual town. And so they bought a football field-sized tarp that says, like, Arby's is cool on it. So wait, right. wait, hold on. So this town, like... Is it, like, officially recognized by the state, or is it just one of those things where it's, like, some dude, like, went onto his farm, like, sovereign citizen shit, and the government's just kind of, like, indulging him? Yeah, I think probably more people used to live there, yeah. Usually you have to have some minimum number of people to incorporate as a town, but if everybody moves away and you never... Say yeah. like okay, we're gonna we're gonna disincorporate. I guess it just remains incorporated territory. Yeah, yeah, it's actually the only legally incorporated municipality in the United States. It's the lowest population in the <laughs> United States. Weird. That itself is is a cooler record than having a giant fucking Arby's sign. Yeah, no, that's rad. That's like we get those all the time out here in the West, like these old ghost towns where there's like this family that's been living there for like. 10 generations and they refuse to leave even though like everyone left in like 1903 <laughs> it's a uh, peak population year was uh in the mid 1930s 150 
Oh. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, I think the, the minimum number has got to be around, like, 100 or 150, so that makes sense. Yeah. Just a bunch of settlers decided, like, well, we're a town now, we should be able to get garbage collection going on yeah. or something. I want to know the history behind this, because, like, 1930, that's, like, that's Dust Bowl, so, I mean, we're in Nebraska, right. which is, like, the heart of it. <laughs> Dude, so check this out. So the person who lives there is named Elsie Eiler, and she lives there, and she lives in and runs the bar. So, like, everybody from around the area, like, goes to that bar, whatever, the farmers. But she's the only one that actually, like, lives in the actual town. But apparently huh. Arby's went there and was like, hey, can we put up this sign? And she was like, I don't really give a shit. They were like, do you want money? And she was like, not really. Like, you do whatever you want. <laughs> and they were like, I guess we'll just pay you. Why did they pick that town, though? Probably the meme. Because it's the world's smallest town, yeah. and it's the world's largest sign, Matt. Oh, yeah, world's smallest genius. is definitely a thing that I want associated with my brand. But the big sign is there. See, yeah, the sign's uh, really big. The, the memes. Big. The memes. Oh, also, yeah, yeah, the best part is the, the sign literally says, like, hey, Arby's is switching to Coke. <laughs> so Arby's oh is going to be Coke God. now instead of Pepsi. Oh, that's man. what the sign See, is that's, about. That's, that's not going to go over because I feel like Nebraska is a Pepsi state through and through. Or Nebraska kind of sits on that dividing line between Pepsi and Coke country. You definitely have your diehards in both camps. That's true. And you have that, like, one weird holdout that's, like, standing for RC. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Forget the forget the Arby sign. The question I want to know is who carried to this town in 2016? Was it a Trump town or was it a Hillary town? <laughs> <laughs> we need to go interview this lady and find out. Apparently, you could just go there and do that. <laughs> yeah, seriously, uh, Elsie, come on, liquid flannel. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need the internet to be on it, so that's true. We can make yeah. this work. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to you. You want a road trip? It's like in the middle of like north central Nebraska, like on the border with what South Dakota or whatever. Is it yeah. like is it like near an interstate at all, or just like? Oh of... God, no! Yeah, no. not up there. No, no way. way. Weird. <laughs> well, see, because like there's uh, there's this town in Nevada, Oasis, I believe it's called, and they have like ten people, but it's like right off I eighty. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah, but like <laughs> you'd think there'd be more people. Is it like a Shangri La where you you only see it if the weather's exactly right, or oh, if yeah. you're like pure of heart or I something don't, like that? I don't know the, the most one... people. Most people just drive straight past it, but like Brigadoon, it disappears. For the, those who weren't worthy. The only time I've driven through North Nevada on I-80, I wasn't really concerned about what I was seeing in that like desolate stretch between Wendover and Reno, which is like all the state. Could you imagine living in a town of 10 people in the middle of nowhere? I hope you get along with those people. <laughs> like, well, what is probably, that? You probably do. Like it's your family, your cousins, and then like the other family. It can't just yeah. be like 10 random strangers. They've had plenty of time to go through the whole Truman Capote cycle where there's like <laughs> some horrible crime that kind of thins the herd down a little bit. <laughs> Did you listen to that podcast where they simulated that Mars mission and it was like 10 people for like a year? Or I think it was oh, maybe yeah, less living than in that. A, it was like six maybe. They buried a bunch of storage containers or something and then it was like Big Brother basically. They yeah. just had oh, to yeah. live in there and not kill each other. Oh yeah. god. <laughs> and they barely made it, but they made it, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, man. I d I don't know if I could do it. I, I couldn't put up with that for that long. I, I'd have to get out of there. No, I, I couldn't either. The type of people that want to deliberately go to Mars are not the type of people that I want to be around for the duration of that trip <laughs> yeah oh i love when they were like hey one-way trip to mars hundreds and hundreds of people were like sign me up let's right. do this that's one of my favorite things about uh the red mars trilogy by kim stanley robinson because they talk about the selection process for it's like the first 100 people who are going to go out on this colony ship and of course they're rigorously psychologically screened and so then naturally the only people who actually get on the ship are the people who were smart and crazy enough to be able to game that system to make all of the sane people look insane. Uh, so <laughs> you just, you end up launching with a bunch of like highly unstable geniuses. And yeah, that's that's great. It's, it's a great way to start that. I mean, it'd be good for my networking if I went alongside like the rocket that Bezos is on. <laughs> I could just like, I could just like pitch him a million different ideas on the way. Like, oh, what about Walmart? But it's on Mars. <laughs> Oh, I think he he thought of that one already. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, then how about how about this, Bezos? Fazoli's, but it's on Mars. Oh, so <laughs> so to bring this back around, I was in Manhattan. I don't know if I mentioned that. I'm gonna name drop that. Where's that? <laughs> you, it's a little town you might have heard of. It's called New Jersey. 
right across from the Empire State Building, Amazon has opened a, a physical bookstore because they can oh. do that now. Yeah, right. But it was really nice. I went there and I was like, wow, bookstores. I remember how bookstores were cool. And I like to go yeah. there and look at books. I missed it. That is one thing that I thought was really funny, uh, funny in kind of a sad way. Uh, recently when, you know, Barnes and Noble said that they were going to have to close a bunch of stores because they can't compete with Amazon on books and anybody who wants books, there's most people are just buying the electronic copies these days anyway. And everyone's like, no, we need these bookstores around. And a bunch of people who also are big readers who don't really care for either of those services were like, yeah, this, this happened already. It was when Barnes & Noble came into town and put all of the other right. uh, smaller booksellers in the grave. Yeah, seriously. I Man, I fucking hate Barnes & Noble. Does it still exist? Is it I, still I a like, thing? It does. It is still a thing. Not around here. I like any big physical location where I can walk around and look at books and maybe like get a hot chocolate or something. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a soulless company. You can always tell by their... You know, they're promoted books. They've got those islands kind of out in the middle that's like, uh, you know, like political science. And you've got, I don't know, maybe maybe something by Madeleine Albright and then like three of Bill O'Reilly's most recent books or something. See, the nearest Barnes and Noble to myself, they're like top picks, like their staff picks, not like the generic ones like what you just described, are all just like young adult novels because I think they're trying to like desperately court that crowd like, hey, please buy books (laughs) for the love of God. They have uh, on the tags for all the books, just like random people's Amazon reviews or whatever, like on the tags, which I felt was very strange. There's going to be a whole cottage industry of people trying to write like the best pithiest Amazon review just so that they can get their, you know, they'll work in their like Twitter handle or Instagram into it. So, you know, it'll be like the new viral marketing for someone's brand is to try to get into the physical Amazon bookstore. Yeah. Does anyone like even read the reviews on the back of the book though, or like on the tag? Like I know for certain I don't like, I don't give a fuck what like some dude at the New York times thinks of this novel. And I'm (laughs) certainly not going to think of like, Oh no, Fucking horsecock Donkey Kong didn't like this book. I guess I should write it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did it exactly one time because uh, I picked up this book called Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell and kind of read oh, the yeah. backboard and I was like, I don't really know what this is. I don't know if it, it's it seems really thick. I don't know if I want to read this right now. But then the one review of it was it was like this is the greatest piece of fantasy literature ever written in the 20th century. And it was from Neil Gaiman. Oh, I was really? like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, you well, yeah. would know. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So like author to author reviews, those are awesome. Like I trust those. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Good distinction. Right. It's like USA Today says extraordinary, you know, yeah. <laughs> Guy, Guy Fieri just is really into this. <laughs> I was so mad. I wanted to go to Guy Fieri's Times Square restaurant, but it closed like six months ago. <laughs> Uh, they got can, an Olive Garden, though. You can go to his one that's in Vegas. I forget which casino it's in. I want to uh, say Caesar's Palace. That sounds right. Sure. They had a book at that bookstore that was the My Little Pony, like, D&D rule set for, <laughs> like, pen and paper My Little Pony RPG. Yeah, I'm going so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna need you to roll me a, uh, a friendship check with a uh, DC, yes! with a DC <laughs> save of 22. That is the mechanic. There's, like, a mechanic where, like, the more team-ups you do, like, the, the better your DC is or whatever. But wait, um, it's a cooperative game to begin with. Like... <laughs> It's true, but it's even more cooperative because friendship, baby. Weaponized cooperation. Well, I I know what Liquid Flannel is going to do for one of our one of our streaming episodes. Uh, yeah. we'll play the uh, we'll play the the My Little Pony RPG. I'll DM that. I'll be like, hey, Brendan, you can't you can't be a chaotic evil pony. That just I just it's well, against the spirit of this. Did you did you see the My Little Pony movie? Because the main character was chaotic evil and was converted at the end. Okay, so well, of course, <laughs> of course, I've seen the My Little Pony movie i mean who do you think i am a fraud uh I, I do need that legitness from my pony dm though both matt and i also have children and so have plausible deniability for why we watch so much my little pony <laughs> i have actually never seen a single episode of my little pony because the bronies at my school creep me out yeah also it's a shame, I'm an adult. it's good it's a good show i like it okay you get away with saying that though because you have kids actually guys it does since by necessity, since I don't have the internet, I have no idea what's going on in the news. And we've already transitioned into 
uh, children's media properties. Oh, it's perfect. I say it's we, perfect. I say we take a little break here, and we can come back with the reason that it, that we actually asked Admiral Ron to come on the show, which is to talk about the hilarious and uplifting topic of deaths in children's films. Okay. All right. So, the the real the real reason we we actually asked Ron to come on was because we had this sort of zany idea for a bit that we could do because I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I got a niece and she comes over and we put on you know whatever movies are available on Netflix. So we watched a lot of children's films and the way kids' Ooh, films treat. Baby. Uh, yeah, well, definitely a lot of Boss Baby. She does love it, especially that Including opening number with the... Uh, has has she seen the show that vastly expands the Boss Baby canon? Oh. I don't think she cares that much. She's like 19 months old. Dude, so. in, the, in the first episode of that show, one of the babies makes a joke that's like, I didn't know your brother was a liberal. <laughs> Wow. Also, okay. none of the none of the original voice cast is in that TV show, and I think it's really funny because like <laughs> the guy who plays the baby, he's not even like trying to do an Alec Baldwin impersonation. He's just like, "Hey, it's me, <laughs> it's, it's me, like baby." The, yeah, it's like the embodiment of the Twitter joke, like George Takei voice, because you can't actually do that voice, right? <laughs> right, right. So I, I've been thinking about this topic a lot because uh, the way death is treated in children's films we're gonna go with like films okay um is it's really different depending on you know what's trying to be achieved in that in that film sometimes they're very meaningful sometimes they're just complete throwaways i've got an example from mulan two dudes who absolutely get murdered that nobody ever notices in that one but uh so so i've asked uh i've asked matt and brendan to come up with their own examples but just to satisfy our friend Nick Glessman, I think we've got to lead off with the Brave Little Toaster oh, because yeah. no. you want to you want to talk about some death in a children's film. There is some <laughs> disturbing shit in that movie. Yeah, there is yeah. a Broadway style musical sung by suicidal cars. Right. There's also <laughs> yeah, totally. um, I don't I can't remember which appliance it is, but at some point the appliance like just commit suicide like oh that's yeah, the vacuum eats his own no it's the air conditioner it. no that when the, <laughs> oh, when the right. air conditioner when they're when they're initially leaving the cabin where they're right. all kind of kept in the off season the air conditioner is so mad at them a because he can't go with them and b because he doesn't believe that like the humans care about them at all that he starts yelling and as he yells he he gets hotter and hotter until he's like spitting sparks and they're like dude you need to slow down and he just gets madder and madder until he finally explodes from rage like (laughs) dies he literally (laughs) yells himself to death like a fox news grandpa (laughs) it's back to that stupid static again you think i don't know what's going on in here i know what goes on in this cottage it's a conspiracy and every one of you low watts is in on it. Just because you can move around, you think you're better than I am. I'm not an invalid. I was designed to stick in a wall. I like being stuck in this stupid wall. I can't help it if the kid was too short to reach my dials. We didn't mean it, really. It's my function! No, wait, wait. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's and then as Brendan died, <laughs> and then as Brendan mentioned, the last of the uh, the last of the musical numbers, the the original musical numbers, which were written by Van Dyke Parks, and if you listen to our episode from a couple of weeks ago, I accidentally used a song written by this musician I'd never heard of, and then looked him up, and I was like, oh shit, he also wrote all of the Brave Little Toaster, uh, but um, yeah, it's at the wrecking yard when. These cars are singing their 
terribly depressing stories about how like I used to be somebody or like I never actually achieved my dreams and they're all going down the conveyor belt toward the crusher and they get turned <laughs> into these tiny little cubes of metal and that is some disturbing imagery when you're oh, watching yeah. that as a little kid I my my older brother showed me this movie when I was I think I was like six and that right there is like fucking haunting oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, and and you watch it as an adult, and I guess it's supposed to be kind of bathos, you know, where it's like there's this sad thing going on, but the consequence is still kind of funny because they're all just kind of, you know, it's like it's like shipping people off to the to the rendering plant or something right. like that, and right. yeah. you know, yeah. their stories are all kind of, you know, there's there's one who was a hearse who's like, guys, I've seen some shit, like <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm I'm ready for the sweet embrace of death. Well, and it's funny yeah. because it was so ahead of its time because if you look at like Toy Story, like in Toy Story 3, they literally do that. You know what I mean? But they had to right. build up to oh, it. Oh, yeah. There's like the scene where they're on the incinerator. Right. But little Brave Little Toaster started there. You know, they they, they should have learned their lesson. You can't start there. You got to build up to it. <laughs> no, no, you do. You do. It's like, um, I feel like this kind of thing is like really era dependent i feel like like as children's movie have gone on it's not that they've like shied away from dealing with death but like they know to just kind of like build up to it it's not like the movie i want to talk about which is watership down yes aka, AKA the rabbit body count to rival yeah like, go, World war one <laughs> go off go off on watership down because that's what another was, one what that were I the think circumstances really... that you saw this movie initially because i've actually um, never seen it but i i know it is notorious for being horrifying <laughs> Which is which is sad because in the book the book is beautiful and it's a oh, really nice no, story the book, and there I is the book. there is death in the book uh, and it's sad and it's poignant and then in the movie it's like they went all in on making that as horrifying as possible. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I feel like in the book the imagery is, if you think about it, just as horrifying as in the movie. It's just it being by the nature of being a movie. It's easier to, like, express that in a way that's intuitive to a human because, like, we're visual, you know? Sure. But, yeah, like, the circumstances where I watched the movie was I wasn't super young. But, again, this is my older brother who is five years older than me. So, he would have been, like, 16 when he showed it to me while I was 11, which, like, okay, you know, you're starting to get into, like, the preteen years. So, you're getting older. But like you're getting some of the darker fuck, stuff man. from yeah right <laughs> like and it's actually it's interesting i was researching this because i haven't watched the film in a long time but like that's around the same age that guillermo del toro watched it and he was talking about how it was like this rite of passage for him like going from childhood to like the beginnings of adulthood oh know? sure which i actually i really i really agree with that thought like it's a really brutal movie it's really violent and like they're really unapologetic about a lot of the deaths but it's just kind of this like reality that you have to kind of face in a way. It's very, it's not like cynical either, which is really weird because the way I just said it makes it sound really cynical. It's very, it's very realist. No, I'm, you know? I'm glad you brought up Guillermo del Toro because I think you can kind of trace that ethos through that line goes through a lot of his work where you've got, there's sort of like a childlike wonder and whimsy to the worlds that he creates. But they're also very serious. Like they yeah, have yeah. consequences, especially especially Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I think another movie that Guillermo may have mentioned is Return to Oz. Oh yes, have you oh, guys seen my that? God, I have yeah. not seen that. <laughs> that movie, I think uh, it's like you could just pull it up on YouTube. That movie is incredibly fucked up. Yeah, it is dark as hell. Uh, Feruza Balk. Stars as uh, Dorothy Gale, I believe, a young Feruza Balk. Yeah, probably too young for the fucked up shit that happens <laughs> in this movie, which this movie opens with. It's like a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. And this movie opens with her being in a mental institution because they're like, oh, she thinks she went to like a magical land or whatever. Like she's clearly crazy, like Dr. Helper right. or whatever. And he's like, all right, well, time for the electroshock. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like Aunt M is sort of a is sort of a uh, an antagonist in that, Ugh. or maybe yeah, it's, like maybe the, it's Uncle Henry's like new wife or something like there's that. There's like it's, an it's evil really dark. 
queen. No, it's like all people who work at like the mental institution or whatever. This is how crazy oh, okay. this movie is. But she's like an evil queen that can like take her head off and put different like people's heads on her body. Um, but the most fucked up part is the wheelers. Yes. What Do you remember fuck? that? So this oh, yeah, is like, the wheelers. Oh, oh my man. God. There's people with that have wheels for hands and feet, and they have, like, stilt arms, and they literally, like, roll around, like, really fast, and it and they have, like, masks that, like, are on the top of their heads, so and when they're, like, leaning over, they have these, like, horrifying masks. Yeah. It's so crazy. No, it's it's seriously, That's like, terrifying. something out of, like, <laughs> Mad yeah, Max of or, wheelers. like, Fallout or something. Yeah, it's terrifying. I remember there's a death really early on in that film where... She lands, uh, however she gets back to Oz in, in in that movie, she lands at this desert where if you touch yeah. the sand, you yourself turn into sand and die. Right. And I think and it's like, like one of the well, wheelers. How else do you like, think the, the desert got so big? Like, right. It's like, Jesus, what? Because it, it literally kills everything that it touches. Yeah. Terrifying film. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a good one. And it, um, is, a, it is ostensibly a, a film for... For children, like it is, it is like a children's fantasy film. Like, hey, it's a sequel to Wizard of Oz. Like, remember the, the Munchkins? Like, weren't they adorable? <laughs> Look <laughs> at them do their little tap dance. Yeah, it's interesting. Like hearing you describe like the sand, because like I've never seen this movie, but like hearing you describe like touching the sand, turning into sand, it reminds me a lot of how like folklore traditions, like children's stories being really gruesome, has like such a oh deep, yeah, like long running tradition in like folklore, like universally, like. I can't think of a single Absolutely. culture that didn't have some, like, horrifying children folklore. Oh, yeah, it, is, sure. um, it is the most ridiculous that, like, the things that we give to children are, like, Humpty Dumpty, Little Red Riding Hood, <laughs> yeah. like, crazy, like, Jack and the Beanstalk, like, crazy stuff like that. They're like, oh, you know, for babies, like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, like, you get murdered, your grandma gets eaten by wolves, like, you, like kids Hansel, love this. Hansel, Hansel and Gretel, which is oh, a German yeah. fairy tale about how being gluttonous is bad, like... Yeah, actually, I, I think that's a good transition then from kind of the serious approaches to, or the, the scary in children's films into like the more Disneyfied version. Because, oh, yeah. because I mean, <laughs> even just uh, Cinderella, say, I mean, if you go back and read the original story, there's this whole sequence where they've got the glass slipper and the two oh, evil yeah. stepsisters literally one of them cuts off all of her toes in order to jam her foot into this thing. <laughs> the other one cuts off her heel in order to do Ugh. that. Um, yeah, di- didn't make it into the movie version for some reason, but... Yeah, or like uh, Little Red Riding Hood, the wolf is like portrayed as charismatic in some renditions, like I think yeah. the oh, Disney yeah. version, but like the original fairy tale is it's based off of how like at that time, like... In Germany and stuff, you could just get eaten by a wolf just walking down the road, and they would like. <laughs> st- there were some packs that would like stalk towns and just like pick off children every night oh, to right. like, sustain the pack. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> I teased it see... earlier. Oh, go ahead, Brendan. Oh, I was just gonna say, did you guys see the trailer for Tim Burton's Dumbo? I, that sounds like a bad idea from top to bottom. <laughs> Dumbo is all is one of those movies where some messed up stuff happens in that movie for sure. They they drink like hallucinogenic beer and yeah. hallucinate an entire terrifying parade of like pink elephants made out of balloons or something. Oh yeah, the with the plus the the racist crows uh, that help them somehow. Yeah, I wonder um, what Tim Burton's doing with that one. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so my my uh my best example of the Disneyfication of death is actually an on-screen death in a Disney film, and it's one that I think most people don't even register. It's in Mulan. So the plot of Mulan, she I you know the general plot of Mulan, Mulan but the conclusion of it is she shows up at the Imperial Palace, the bad guy has kidnap the emperor with his like small band of goons and she has to save the day and one of the one of the things she does they they basically fight all the way up to the top of the palace and she's got eddie murphy as mushu the dragon and she like points in the direction she's like okay got it what he does is he runs over to this other tower where they were they were having this big festival so there are all these fireworks set up and uh he 
scares the two guys in the tower so that he can steal one of their uh one of their fireworks which he does by pretending to be like batman for a second and they panic (laughs) and they jump and they jump out of this tower which is easily 80 or 90 feet off the ground in a stone courtyard there's no way those guys survived that fall (laughs) they're just hanging over the side it's just like it's just hilarious that these two well it wouldn't help them if they were hanging on to the side because literally the the way that she disposes of the villain who also dies is he ends up catching this giant firework rocket right in the chest right. and it fires him into the tower which then yeah, explodes yeah, yeah. you know so <laughs> yeah. one like, way or another these two these two mooks who were just there doing their jobs they were just like you know the emperor's uh you know like like pyro technicians um they died and you you never you never have that acknowledged in the film yeah. and it's not like it's not like they did the disney thing where like or what like a lot of children's death movies will do where it's like they show a character like falling off a cliff and like it's clear they die but like they turn into a gag but like oh just kidding he fell into like some water yeah right yeah. right that <laughs> happens in uh hunchback in notre dame actually oh god at one oh, point god. there are some there are some guys climbing the side of the cathedral and quasimodo grabs their grappling hook and yanks the rope out uh and they all fall and it literally does the uh the, the Wilhelm like goofy the Wilhelm. like <laughs> no it's it's like no it's the it's the <laughs> you know as they fall <laughs> but then you do kind of see them splash into the river oh, at the God. bottom yeah. so they, of, they, they of course he didn't fine. murder them yeah. Yeah. yeah dude hunchback is one of the most insane movies because i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about uh yeah the uh yeah. the rape fantasy the priest oh, yeah, that the one. priest sings a song uh he's a judge he's a judge in that one not a priest he was a Whatever. priest in the book that yeah. dude's a priest <laughs> as hell uh he sings a yeah, song about like is. how much he wants to like kidnap and rape demi moore uh yep. and he sings a disney song about it yeah he literally oh. says like Either I can have her or no one can, and otherwise she oh, needs to burn. Yeah, she'll burn in hell or whatever. Oh, so good. Right. But that's not even the most messed up thing in the movie. The There's a subplot about how uh, Jason Alexander's uh, like comic relief gargoyle wants to have sex with a goat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really bizarre. Jason uh, Alexander is a, is a very strange tonal mismatch for that film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but speaking of deaths, I mean, that movie literally starts off with a murder because Judge Frollo chases down the the Roma woman who's holding the baby Quasimodo and hits her with his horse and she falls down on the steps of Notre Dame and cracks her head and dies. I mean, yeah. that is how that film starts. You got to open strong. Yeah, or like, <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that might be one of the more like brutal disney deaths in terms of like on screen like not like shying away from it or like cutting away or whatever because that movie is dark yeah or like um they don't they don't show it on screen but like the bambi death like yeah which uh i mean that that absolutely scarred kids growing up i mean between bambi and uh old yeller which is another off screen yeah where where the red fern grows (laughs) I, I'm not I'm not as familiar with that one, so maybe you can take us through that. Um, so where does the it also frame... involve a dog dying? Oh yes, it does. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Um, I uh, it's been forever since I've read it, but the way the way I've remembered it is like old Yeller. It's from behind, you know, like when he finally has to like you know kill the dog. Yeah. Redfern grows. He's like looking the dog in the eyes. Oh man. It's yeah. Oh, that's not, brutal. I mean, it's not. Yeah, not that's pleasant. we we definitely love to kill our our animal companions in in films. Uh, but, Charlotte's but Web. Hey. Char- Charlotte's Web has a very important death at the end. And yeah, and that one I really like the Charlotte's Web death because it treats death with kind of the gravity that I think it deserves. Sure, and it's not violent. Is important. Yeah, it's. It's very much a, like, kind of in the Lion King sense, like a circle of life acknowledgement that this yeah. is, like, the yeah, next thing that, that has to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's not, like, it doesn't shy away from, like, death is this inevitable thing, but, like, it also doesn't, like, morbid it. Like, they don't make it morbidize it. They don't, like, make it 
overly gruesome or they don't like moralize it that much like we tend to do right especially in like children's media and like it's really effective in a non like scarring way you know Mm -hmm. yeah you're just sad at the end of that one you don't have nightmares about it for years yeah you're not dreaming about cars singing about suicide (laughs) (laughs) although you know i have i haven't seen cars three yet but they might they might get there i think (laughs) Well, isn't there – there's a lot of death in the Cars films, isn't it? There's oh, like dude. A whole, oh, There's yeah. a whole character that's like the James Bond, yeah. uh, like like Aston Martin car or whatever. But he's <laughs> like outfitted with so guns amazing. and shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. The murder rate in Cars 2 is like in the in the hundreds. It's, it, I mean, it is <laughs> – there is a scene where they torture a car to death in a James Bond like interrogation sequence. Jesus. I- I've never seen Cars 2, but holy fuck. <laughs> Dude, you should watch it. It's a James Bond movie. It's it's actually pretty great. Michael Caine is, is James Bond. Is that the one that stars uh Tomator? Yeah, he's like this he's like um he's like uh the spy who uh what's that like famous comedy uh, yeah, movie the, or whatever? The the man who knew too little. Yeah, he it's that plus <laughs> okay. James Bond or whatever. Oh my um, great. It's it's actually pretty good. But yeah, they are murdering people. Cars guns just pop out of cars like constantly in that movie. Yeah, and Actually, speaking of the Cars franchise, like the first one, like the big thing is the like, it's it's like a sports movie cliche, you know, like the mentor dies. But like when Doc Hudson dies, like they make like a big deal out of it, you know? Yeah, I th- I feel like they're, Disney's been getting better and better. And I feel like, I mean, did you guys see Coco? That's like the most recent Disney movie. And that is a movie explicitly about death. I mean, it's, it's about on death the day of, sort of the dead. Going to the underworld and everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. I recommend it. Yeah. So, you know, they, they got there. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure they'll get back. Um, I'm sure the body count in uh, Incredibles 2 is pretty high. Because there oh, was yeah. some pretty horrifying stuff in that first one, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're all disposable henchmen, which I think is... That's kind of a theme that emerges, right? Like, a lot of these children's films have a lot of death in them. But because you never... You never make a connection with the character or it happens kind of off screen or they're part of a faceless horde or something. I mean, to to go back to Mulan, uh, it is not it, it's not even subtext. You know that the that Sean Yu's like barbarian horde absolutely murdered an entire village of people. Oh, yeah. Um, killed yeah. killed the the main like love interest general guy's father because they find his helmet uh, and then. Mulan causes the uh, the avalanche, which ends up oh, eating yeah. most of the horde as it comes down the mountain. Yeah, and yeah. you there there are these long panning vistas of like broken arrows and like arms, like dead arms sticking out of the snow, like fucking Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's it's you know? very it's very haunting imagery. Yeah, so you're saying like Mulan like practically did a genocide? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it was it was self defense, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, it's it's okay. It's if war if war has ever been moral, it's it's moral in Mulan. Yeah, <laughs> actually, and actually, I think in that avalanche scene, she even takes out some of like the Chinese army, like her own allies. Yeah, well, yeah it's really hard to get about... a sense. It's really hard to get a sense of how many guys are actually with them in that scene because, like. You see them marching off to battle. There's even a song where they say, marching off to battle. Right. And then Hope it don't once the actual the battle starts, yeah, once the battle actually starts, they're what, just like the six people that you already know, including the like weird advisor guy who yeah. definitely would be the first person to die in a battle. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Though, I mean, I feel like that's just because the animators got lazy. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh well, shit, we really shouldn't have drawn this many people in the musical number. Fuck. How I do think we, how, do we, how do we avoid this? Oh, Avalanche. Yeah, they're making live action Mulan too, so you, they got another yeah. chance to show some horribly <laughs> gruesome deaths. That movie is actually hilarious if you're looking for lazy animation because there are these uh like kind of static scenes where it's like Mulan interacting with the two or three named characters, and then all of these other guys like standing in rows. Uh, you know, just lined up for for uh, training or whatever, and oh, yeah. every once in a while, one of them will like slightly move their head, but for the most part, they look like zombies. Like they're just standing there, staring off into the distance. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's great. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, guys. Uh, you know, as we as we kind of wrap this up, 
it sounds like there have been a couple of themes that emerge. I mean, one of them is the gravity with which death is treated in children's films. You know, whether it's it's meant to, you know, serve serve some sort of deeper purpose to the story or if it's just sort of titillating violence, um, whether it's violent or peaceful, whether it's on screen or off screen. What are your thoughts it's on a pirate getting eaten by a crocodile? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Com- comedy deaths are the best oh man yeah. rufio rufio dies in hook that's a children's film yeah he gets stabbed true. on screen and oh, dies yeah. in peter's arms well you know it's what you get for trying to be too cool you know you gotta <laughs> no one it's actually no. just, just veiled anti-punk propaganda <laughs> yeah in totally that movie. <laughs> the reagan administration made them put it in <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to me, the thing that strikes me, though, is that it's just it's such an easy out because, I mean, otherwise, what are you going to do? Like, you know, like Beauty and the Beast 2, Gaston's trial for attempted murder or like, what, right, what are you right. going to do with or that? Like, unless you're just like, imagine, let's just get rid of this guy. Or like, imagine like Charlotte's Web, which is all about death, not ending with death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Beauty and the yeah. Beast is a really interesting example, too. I was talking to a friend about it last night that there are some serious differences between the animated and the live action version. So in in the animated version, Gaston is just kind of the local jock guy who, right, yes, right. He, that takes him down a very dark road where he tries to basically blackmail Belle into marrying him and, you know, does eventually try to kill the beast. And he gets, yeah, he gets knocked at, he tries to stab the beast at the very end of the beast kind of rears back and knocks him off the cliff or off the parapet or whatever. Yeah. In the live action film, <clears throat> they, they do a weird thing where the climactic battle, the beast is not responsible for Gaston's death at all. It's just the castle kind of falling apart mm, and Gaston's yeah. standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he also literally attempts to murder Kevin Klein. I mean, yep. He ties him to a tree in the middle of the winter where they know there are wolves around and then walks away. So yeah, it's, it's, that's a that's a strange, a strange trajectory. Like he's a worse guy in the in the live action one because right. of that thing. But his death is sort of accidental or even incidental. Yeah, I I wonder how much of that was part of the desire to not make the live action version feel just like a play by play reshoot of the animated. Yeah. Sure. And I'm not familiar with like the like surrounding tale of Beauty and the Beast or whether like it's actually rooted in some other tale or if it was just like an original Disney thing for once. Well, in no, I, I mean. It's it's an old French fable, but there is no Gaston character. It literally just has to do with beauty and the beast and sort of the redemptive power of love and and oh, wow, that really? kind of thing. Of Stockholm the, Syndrome. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. It's it's not though really. <laughs> oh, have you guys seen the Wreck It Ralph trailer? Where Sarah Silverman leads like a group therapy session with all the Disney princesses or whatever? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, right. <I'm> not. <laughs> Oh, it looks yeah. so funny. And all the princesses kind of kind of recount their own traumas to like double check if she actually is a Disney princess. Like, yeah. were you threatened with murder? Were you imprisoned in a castle? <laughs> yeah. Dude, my favorite part is when she runs in, Cinderella takes off her glass slipper and then like breaks it and is ready to like shank her in oh, the yeah. face. Breaks it, is, is ready to just totally bottle her. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I want that yeah. movie. I want like the Mad Max Cinderella version where... <laughs> She's just out on her own, shanking people with glass slippers. <laughs> well, to to go back to my question, maybe to to narrow this down a little bit more, what would you two advise to people who are making children's entertainment insofar as how they treat death in their movies? What are some what are some best practices, do you think? <laughs> um, I'll start. I think I think above all, if you're gonna have death, don't like don't try to have it one way and then also do it another way. So, like, what I mean by that is, like, the Mulan Tower thing where, like, they fall and we never see them again, that implies that they're dead. All right? If you want to have that, that's cool. But don't do the thing then that, like, a lot of, like, current Disney movies and, like, other children's movies do where it's like, ah, oh, hey, just kidding. They're actually okay. Like, right. 
you can you can have you can have death in your movie, but don't like undercut it in some way because at that point it's just why even have it? You know, like death death should be something very like impactful, or you could just have it be a throwaway, but like. Just yeah, don't. it's the, the the mixing of the tones is the problem there, right, where exactly. you get this this incredibly serious consequence, and yet yeah. it's treated comedically, and that's really weird. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was that was the problem with another set of you know ostensibly children's films, the Star Wars prequels, where you've got <laughs> you know it, it, in in one movie you've got you know this sort of comical um, you know goofy like slapstick humor. And then Anakin decapitates Christopher Lee on screen. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It's like, imagine like if the Looney Tunes, like Wile E. Coyote falls off the cliff, but then later on steps into a bear trap and has to like gnaw his leg off. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, that's the Animal Man uh, issue where like Wile E. Coyote becomes a real world character who can't die and it's, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's so hard to read. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a good rule is like, if you are going to do death, because it's so easy to not do death as a gag, like there doesn't even have to be some dudes in those towers. Like it could just be an empty tower full of fireworks, you know? Yeah, like, right. Or they or they had like a fireman's pole or they both just like, like, swoop, like straight yeah. down the ladder, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's it is weird. It's like if you're going to include the death, try to make it meaningful and, and try to make it, you know, have an actual impact rather than as a gag yeah. like as a gag i think it's it's really weird and gross or, or just or just like only have it as a gag right 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 exactly don't mix it up for sure yeah yeah just like the looney tunes where people where people go through these you know absolutely lethal situations all the time but they come back the next scene and you know that they're the consequences aren't there because ultimately we are trying to impart lessons to children with this entertainment right so yeah. Being being so blasé about the consequences of death for a comedic beat, especially in a story that otherwise is supposed to be serious, seems like a really bad step. Yeah. Or like in a story where death is then not like a central theme in some way, like Watership Down, like death is a huge theme in both the right. movie and the book, right? But right. like something like uh, Mulan death isn't really like a theme there it's about like family and friends and like things like that like, right. yeah, like discovering like, who you really are and yeah right so yeah, like, the death is, is for action it's not for meaning right exactly but like it'd be like if in uh i use i want to go back to bambi then actually because that's another movie where death is a theme obviously sure um but like it'd be like if after bambi's mom dies off screen we then see Thumper get like steamrolled or something. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just just gets <laughs> and then run he just over. Pops like, up and he's it. like a little pancake. Whoop 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 whoop. <laughs> well, I feel like we could probably riff on this theme for forever because you know we all grew up with this stuff. We we now have younger people in our lives, whether it's our kids or our nieces and nephews or you know kids of friends. I think we could keep going on this for, for hours, but uh, I appreciate you guys, you know, having some good examples for us. Because I, I think this is, I have a feeling this episode is going to resonate with our audience because we all grew up with the same stuff. Right, right. And uh, I wish we could have talked about TV series because, like, the Redwall TV series, ooh, there's some, like, oh, very snap. interesting Shit, deaths I, in there. I didn't even know that existed. I need to track that we down because that sounds awesome. Seriously. Seriously, Matt, we got to have you back on because we could do an entire, at least this length of segment just on Redwall. I've got I, thoughts. I fucking, I fucking <laughs> love Redwall. That was my favorite Hell children's yeah. book series. Like, all right, up. it's a date, man. Yeah, let's do that. All let's right. uh, let's let's take a break. Let's get away of let's get away from all this death and uh, take this episode out on a high note and bid farewell to our guest here, Master Sir. I heard Yoda talking about midi chlorians. I've been wondering. What are midichlorians? Midichlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me. Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. 
All right, so <laughs> I guess I'll start with my high note. Yes, please start us off on a high note. That was some depressing shit we just discussed. Yeah, so my high note, if you've been following along with the timeline, I've been raising some very beautiful, chili plant children. Ooh. Oh, nice. I have a jalapeno plant and an Anaheim plant, and the Anaheim is starting to fruit, and I am just eagerly awaiting the day when I can harvest said fruits and turn my beautiful chili babies into a hot sauce recipe that I've been trying to, like, mm. work on in my mind because uh, Admiral Ron really into hot sauce. That's super cool, man. I like learning that friends of ours are fellow gardeners. You know, I'm, I'm gardening outside my apartment, so I'm, I'm limited for space, but I do have a massive tomato plant and, like, a jalapeno and a sweet pepper and some uh, some Oof. cucumbers planted and stuff. And gotta, gotta get some herbs in there. Gotta get some rosemary. Rosemary mm. is foolproof. There you go. This shit is a fucking weed. You cannot kill it even if you try. It's like grass. Yeah, Brendan, are you guys, do you guys garden much? I haven't even looked at your backyard. Yeah, you know, we got some tomatoes. We got some uh, onions. We got lots of peppers. Tried to do pumpkins last year. That didn't work so great. I feel like I feel like pumpkins are tricky. Yeah. It would be cool to do like watermelons or something. Like we got the space out here, so do you have the climate though? I mean, no, you just do it on the ground. You they take up a lot of area or whatever. They, <laughs> no, they find is, is your climate appropriate, I think was the, <laughs> yeah. was the question there. Uh yeah, melons I think so. Maybe melons not. Melons do okay. Omaha has a a shockingly short growing season. Yeah. So you can get things to germinate and grow, but it can be kind of dicey some years. Right, right. The pumpkins get big, man. The pumpkins get big. Whereas I'm having trouble with my tomatoes right now because apparently it's too hot at night and all of the flowers turn sterile if the uh, if the temperature doesn't drop back below about 75 degrees at night. So basically what I'm going to end up with is, is like this 19-foot-tall tomato plant by the time the cool weather comes back around, and then hopefully it'll still want to flower. Yeah. Otherwise, I might just have this amazing ornamental vine climbing up literally <laughs> to my neighbor's uh, balcony. Our tomato plant, that's what I'm worried about too, because like, as we roll into July, the nights here are only going to drop until like mid-80s. Right. Hopefully the tomatoes still want to flower by the time it comes time to wanting to have a tomato instead of just like this giant fucking plant. I mean, I think they do because hot places do end up growing tomatoes. You just might have to, right. to wait for a little while, yeah. you know. Yeah. You take care of your plant babies and then hopefully they go crazy, you know, once the weather's amicable again. Yeah, that's why that's why I try to stick to because I'm not a very good gardener, right? This is like one of my first things I've ever planted. But I find herbs yeah. are like so foolproof that from now on that's like all I'm gonna do. <laughs> totally. Mint and basil, like you can grow that shit indoors, like it's just also succulents succulents are foolproof yeah if there was an edible succulent it would be nice <laughs> i'm sure there is you can eat aloe you know just just chewy <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure yeah. monsanto's got something in the works <laughs> <laughs> the received wisdom is that good gardening comes from experience which comes from bad gardening it's true you know? it's true i used to like agonize over each plant that would die but then i realized like oh i can just you know go to the local nursery and pick up another one and try again well cool man that's that's awesome wish you the best of luck i'll be watching the timeline for photos of your garden out there yeah hell yeah and uh, when it comes time to making that sauce if it ends up being good i will share the recipe for sure awesome nice yeah, I'm going to have some peppers for sure. Cool. Need something to do with them. Sometimes you have too many. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'll go next. Mine's fairly brief, but there was this article that came out uh, in the past few days. You know, I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I've got the Rebel Alliance tattoo and everything. Uh, I've been sort of mixed on the recent installments of the, the series. Uh, right. Going back to the prequels, and I certainly hate the fandom for harassing all of the just nice people off of social media because fandoms are toxic all the time. Oh, yeah. No, that's so fucking shitty. It's terrible. But I still love Star Wars, and I really loved this article that came out in the past couple of days that was, we finally got a little more insight into what George Lucas's vision for the sequel trilogy <laughs> would have been uh, if, he, if he hadn't gotten bought out by Disney and... It certainly hasn't been a secret that he's not super pleased with how they are treating his story. Now, before you continue, I have to ask, does his vision still include Adam Driver? <laughs> well, I don't know. It might be Adam Driver playing a microbe or something, because <laughs> apparently George Lucas's vision for what the sequel trilogy needed to be had to do with uh, like the micro universe. 
So literally a story about Wait, so like the midichlorian shit yes it was all midichlorians literally a story about the midichlorians <laughs> and these other these other like microbiota oh. called the whills uh w-h-i-l-l-s oh so he want to do the star wars version of uh what's that fucking movie with uh like osmodius jones osmosis jones i was just gonna say that <laughs> yeah osmosis oh. jones yeah uh everyone was making like uh you know Episode seven, the magic school bus memes when this came out, or like inner space or something like that. But apparently, the his version for the sequel trilogy was supposed to be the first stage of spore. Yeah, <laughs> literally inside people's bodies and all of the microbiome, um, the little microbiological that appear. And in his is like they're the ones who really run the universe. It's like nobody cares about that right? shit. Like you took. You took the thing that everybody hated the most from the prequel trilogy, and I include Jar Jar Banks in that, and decided to write an entire film trilogy based on that thing. It just confirms what I've always believed ever since the prequels, that George Lucas fundamentally does not understand what Star Wars is or why people like yeah. it. And that is just increasingly hilarious to me as he enters his dotage. And it's like, it's weird to me that like he could fuck that up because like... Just do what you did before. Just copy samurai movies. It worked out so well <laughs> right, for yeah. you. Like, don't <laughs> absolutely don't like play the first like stage of spore and be like, ah, oh, this would be a fucking kick-ass trilogy. Exactly. Yeah. Go back. Go go and watch some more Akira Kurosawa. You know, go back and go go back and watch uh, fucking westerns are good. You know, they all rip off the good samurai movies anyway. How long do you think it's been since George Lucas actually watched a film to like? build up his his own like knowledge of yeah. what makes good cinema um probably the phantom menace which he watches every weekend yeah while jerking <laughs> off using a yoda hand puppet have you guys watched that like hour-long documentary about the making of the phantom menace they uploaded to youtube god no it is amazing because it literally it's like the office and george lucas is michael scott and it's just shot after shot of him, <laughs> like, standing behind visual effects artists saying, like, no, I don't like his arm. Can you just do a CG arm of the... And, he, um, this, and this guy's like, George, why? What are you doing? You know, why, why don't we just get another shot? And he's like, no, I don't want, I don't want to. Or what? Like, let, can you just CG the arm? Yeah, okay, great. All right. So the movie's going to be so yeah. good, you know, guys. That, uh, that, that reminds <laughs> me, um, if you haven't, you should read the book that's about the making of The Empire Strikes Back. What a train wreck of a movie that was. It's Kirshner, like Ir Irving Kirshner or something, like basically ended up completely taking over the writing of that movie because George Lucas's vision for it was such a uh, an incohate mess. Right, yeah. Uh, just, and, like, Harrison yeah. Ford had a mental breakdown almost because, like, the Millennium Falcon sh yeah. uh, scenes, he was just in there for, like, hours on end by himself. Right. It's like the uh, image of, like, Ian McKellen being really sad on the set of The Hobbit because none of the dwarves are real. It's just all mocap. Right. The actual making of these films isn't that much of a high note but i do love that we got a little bit of an insight into what was avoided you know what we didn't end up getting because it's hilarious and oh, dude i would have loved jedi osmosis jones though that would have been sweet <laughs> no yeah that would have been awesome that's like some i bet if you dig far enough back there is at the time that movie came out someone on newgrounds did like a really poorly animated crossover with Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. He pulls out a lightsaber or whatever yeah. and cuts a germ in half. Yeah, like in between <laughs> in between making what if Mario did drugs and what if Sonic sweared, which was like which I just described like an entire like decade of the internet like flash culture. Sonic did way more than swear. I don't know if you've seen I don't know if you've seen what's happening. Man, I fucking that's my high note is being a <laughs> shitty kid going on to new grounds back when that was like new and just watching garbage flash animations that were all uh. just like what if mario was edgy Ooh. yeah mario gets an ak or yeah all that, all that good stuff yeah i'm gonna keep it short my high note this week was uh on monday getting to hang out with friend of the show danielle in manhattan and it was really fun uh, yeah and danielle o'farrell we went to this cool burger restaurant and got to catch up with her, and yeah, we'll have to have her on sometime. She's doing some crazy like Shakespeare thing in uh, in L.A. next week. As she does, she is a she is an important actor. 
<laughs> oh, she is a, I'm not I'm not joking. It's a, that that's what she does. That's what she does for a living. That's so cool. So yeah, yeah. that was really cool and it, it's it's cool to uh to be back and I'm going to uh sleep a lot now cuz I didn't do as much of that as I probably should have. You're going to sleep and dream of bodegas. <laughs> that one time zone jet lag going on. Oh, yeah. It's going to take it out of you for a little while. You, you gained <laughs> you gained an hour and that's just going to tucker you out. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show with us, man. It's it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, of course, anytime. Anytime. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, tell folks where they can find you online at ronald ravekin r-o-n-a-l-d rave and then g-a-n uh not ronald raw vegan because that's dumb and my pun (laughs) is totally not dumb cool man well this has been fun yeah it's been a great fun definitely invite me on for the uh episode where we dissect the pickle rick joke for like eight hours (laughs) <laughs> cool yeah no uh you you volunteered to be our our dm when we played my the uh, my little I... tabletop game so mm, i regret that already <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you got a lot of my little pony catching up to do because i want you to spin a tale that really captures the heart of the i think seven seasons of my little pony that exists now <laughs> oh my god can i just like can i just like run like tomb of horrors from like second edition and just like reskin it <laughs> Yeah, you probably can. Yeah, for sure. We'll friend those traps away. Friendship falls and everyone dies. (laughs) (laughs) While our audience looks forward to that episode and that whole uh, creative process, of course, you can always find us on Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. Like us on SoundCloud. Like us on iTunes. It helps. Brendan Williams, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And I am Matthew Hodges. I'm at Matt the Great with a W. Thank you for being with us, and thanks again to Matt for helping us explore our childhoods in kind of a creative and possibly frightening way. When you go to bed tonight, I hope you don't dream of, like, appliances killing themselves. Or screaming rabbits. Just hug hug your blender goodnight, kiss your microwave just, like, ever so lightly on the <laughs> lips, and say I love you, man. I, if, you ever, if you're going through something hard, you can talk to me. Like, I appreciate, I appreciate all the shit I put you through when I'm high at, like, four in the morning. Uh, I microwaved some SpaghettiOs for the kids earlier because they love that trash, so I, I have some apologizing to do, for sure. Hey, man, you don't need to be sorry for eating SpaghettiOs. It's not pretty in there. <laughs> to the microwave, not to, not to anyone else. It, 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 not, to the, not to your it children. It had some rough times, man. Yeah. Hey, kids, sorry I ate all the SpaghettiOs. Here's some uh, Fruit Loops to make it up to you. Oh, that sounds good. All right, good night, everybody. Thanks, man. I just spilt tea all over myself. You're like a fucking idiot.